Father Michael is the pastor of the Proto-Cathedral of St. Mary, a Byzantine-Ruthenian Catholic church in Los Angeles, California. He is also the co-host of the podcast, What God Is Not, along with Sister Natalia from Christ the Bridegroom Monastery. What God Is Not is available where all great podcasts are found. This is a Know His Love story. I was very caught off guard the first time I felt desolation. And it was, I was probably 23, 24 years old. And my my temperament is is extremely sanguine, extremely phlegmatic. So I, I don't feel things very deeply at all, you know, very positive or negative things. So our Lord has given me the gift of, of very deeply and you know, like you said, for gr- taking it for granted that it's just there. So when uh, I had to break up with a, a girl and I was already just starting celibacy and so we weren't even dating, but but we were getting so close that I was starting to really depend upon her and my relationship with her for, for just my daily happiness. And so I went off and did a week-long retreat. And during that retreat, our Lord made it very explicit and through his mother, through the mother of God, that... Uh, that I needed to just tell this girl, you know, you're, I was going to put it this way, but you're, you know, you're a distraction for me and I'm, I'm empowering them, enabling this distraction. So I just had to tell her, you know, I, I, we need to stop being so affectionate and spending so much time together. And, uh, and, you know, we, in that moment, neither of us took it very well, but for about two weeks, I couldn't look at a holy card. I couldn't look at an icon. I couldn't look at a cross. And there was something, it was such a wrenching for me. I had this, I had this um, relationship in my life that was so good, my relationship with her. And it was, I mean, it was directed at God. It was, it was oriented towards a, a longer relationship, I thought in my mind, but I wasn't called to that. And so our Lord, I think before, before I hurt myself anymore, before I hurt her anymore, asked me to break it off. And so I did. Um, but I did not expect the separation from God that I felt when that happened. And I think that I was, it was a sign that I wasn't relying upon him enough. I was relying on other human beings, including her. So um, that inability to acknowledge or even want to kind of invite God into my daily thoughts and prayers was, was a, a sign of, of desolation, of, of not quite understanding how God's love could, could fill the place that I had, I had put this, this woman in my life. And I knew that if I was called to celibacy, this was going to be the rest of my life, you know, was, was, was without um, a human being there, this, a, a woman to kind of be that, that sounding board for me, um, to give me affirmation, to give me conviction, to give me, you know, all these things that we look for in a good wife. And I, and I was, I had kind of been living that way, even while discerning celibacy, and it just wasn't healthy for anybody concerned. So um, that was a, uh, like I said, it caught me off guard. It was it was something I had not experienced before, and and it was rough. And I I still look back on that, you know. I Christ was right there in front of me the whole that whole two weeks, just you know, yearning for me to respond to His love, and I was just ignoring Him because I in my mind He felt distant. He felt like like He wasn't there. He wasn't loving me, uh, when the exact opposite was true. So so after a couple of weeks, and I think He started just continue pouring His grace in, and I. I just kind of got wearied by not talking to anybody, this girl or Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm not going to go back to the girl. I, I know that's not my calling, so I'll, I'll, I'll turn to Jesus. And when I did that, then I started feeling the love that was ever-present. So when that came back, I, I think I dedicated myself to to celibacy and the reality that Jesus had to be my one and only. And I, as I had to talk to him about all the things I used to like to talk to her about. But the more visceral was actually the, the only the second time I've ever felt that desolation in my life was— um, Literally, the moment the bishop put his hands on my head for ordination, 
I I had this overwhelming doubt of God's existence. And I I I was it was again it caught me completely off guard, but I remember thinking I I've now ordained a priest and I've I've given my whole life to this and do I even believe it? And I think letting those thoughts come in and then realizing that if if there is no God, what have I done? What have I done? And and the devil just loved that and he got his claws in me. And he let me continue to think that way. And, and it was the same thing, but that one lasted for about six weeks where I was, I, I mean, I, on the surface, I loved being a priest. Um, but the reason I, I tell this story now is because um, that after those six weeks, what happened was, is I was able to tell the parish I've been serving at that I was, that I was actually now going to be their pastor. So they just thought I, and I thought for a while that I was just kind of, you know, holding a spot until another priest came in, but I was able to share that I was their pastor. And so when I, this was in Denver, Colorado. So when I stood up after one divine liturgy, I said, by the way, um, I got a letter from the bishop yesterday and I am going to be your pastor. And I, I looked out over the the congregation and all of a sudden all that desolation went away and the, the love of Christ just flooded me. And I thought, why was it was it was so gift i didn't i didn't try to feel that way it was just pure gift and i realized that a priest or at least my temperament in my priesthood i needed very specific people to love like this idea of just oh you're a priest for the whole world was not enough you're just you're a priest it's not enough like i needed to be a priest for specific people so when i look out in the congregation and see specific souls like specific guys specific faces that that's when all of a sudden I realized now my priesthood has a purpose and just being ordained a priest, the devil can, you know, because that can be like a thing of arrogance. Well, look, I'm a priest, I'm a priest, you know, no, you're a priest for people. And when, when you're, when you're just saying I'm a priest and, and leaving the people out of it, that you're inviting desolation in because you're kind of losing your vocation. But when I, when I did have those souls sitting in front of me and then Ever since then, as I say, I'm, I'm still kind of in, in a honeymoon phase of my priesthood because I've always had those souls. And I've always remembered that moment and said, I'm a priest for these people, these specific people. And, and that's definitely where it, I guess it's in my love of others that I feel God's love for me. And, and it's, that, that gift is, is something I'm very aware of. You know, it's, it, it's, it, means, it means very much being, being cared for um, because— especially as a priest, you, I really never know. I'll, I'll say me. I never really know if I'm doing it well or not. I, I, I don't know. There's no measurable measure, no measurable goal to say, look, you're doing a good job. You know, the, um, I don't, I'm, I don't have, I'm not making money. You know, I'm, I'm not becoming quote successful in this way. Um, so there's a, there's a surrender that a priest has to have, so even though, as I said earlier, these are the souls that I'm taking care of, I'm not taking care of them. God's taking care of them. He knows and he loves them so much more than me. Um, so when I remember that I'm a child of God and I'm a beloved child of God, um, then I know I can't screw it up too badly. You know, <laughs> the scriptures say, I might, if I lead little ones astray, you know, the simpler souls astray, I should have a, a millstone tied around my neck and cast into the sea. Um, but as long as I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best to 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 really lead souls to our Lord, then that I know it's not me again; it's Him doing it. Um, so it's it's a good and beautiful thing. Some of the so when I have and I will say this: when I've sinfully lacked preparation for a homily, like I just I I wanted to do something else, and so I didn't, and so the the homily comes along, and I've just not prepared at all, and I know it's my bad, and I'll stand up there and I'll give um just on, on a human level a horrible horrible homily. 
And I've gotten more good feedback from those homilies. And I, it's almost like, I'm like, Lord, you're enabling me. Like you're, you're enabling me not to prepare now because I've got such good feedback. But what, what happened in prayer is that I'll, I'll yeah, sit there in prayer afterwards. And I'll say, I'll say, okay, Lord, you know, like, what was that? Why am I getting such good feedback for what I thought was a horrible homily? And our Lord is, has told me in prayer, like, just because you neglect them doesn't mean I'm going to neglect them. In other words, I love them. Like I, it's not you preaching, preaching this homily. It's, it's me. It's my spirit, you know, in their heart. So, so even if you sinfully neglect your people, they're my people and I love them more. So I'm just, me being a child of God allows me the freedom to say, that's my identity. And so I have a lot more confidence in my ministry because I know that God's going to convert, translate, fix what I do wrong and, and make it good and beautiful. This may sound odd, but I, I love a good story. Like I love telling stories. I love hearing stories. Um, I love good literature. I love the parables and the scriptures. I love the gospel because they tell a story of Jesus. And I, I love good testimony. Um, there's something about, about story, even though the fact that so much of the word of God is in the story form, that um, that narrative is something that I that teaches me about God. And I, I want to have, have my own story. I want to be able to show people that God exists through what he has done in my life and through those stories. So um, God has always given me from the time I was little, just very exciting things happening in my life. And, and so that I can always tell a good story. And it, these, these, these moments, these experiences happen and the, the reflection upon them. For instance, I'm going to talk about this in another context, but I think this is the first time I'm going to talk about it over media. But one of the most powerful things that happened to me recently, just last week, that was a good story about God's love is I had, I had uh, wanted to go to confession. And I used to live with a priest, and so I, I had that availability. But I had, I had done something to a brother clergyman. And I, I didn't want to confess it to another priest, especially a priest I was trying to impress. And so I was at this at this retreat, and there was a priest there that I wanted to impress. I was like, man, I want this guy to be my friend. And so, but I, I don't want it. But I thought our Lord just said, no, you need to go to confession. You need. So I, I, we were both hearing confessions uh, at a retreat, and so we both people like stopped coming. So I walked out, and I saw him waiting outside his confessional. So I walked over there. And as I walk over there, he goes, oh, Mike, uh, hey, can you hear my confession? And I was like, oh, of course. So we do what's called the stole swap. You know, you, you hear each other's confession. So, so in my mind, I had this, this like feeling of, of deep shame. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to confess that I've hurt another brother clergyman because this is a brother clergyman and I want to impress this guy. So I, I had, you know, sinful shame along with this as well. So I sit down in the confessional and we can see each other. And I sit down and I'm like preparing my heart to, to like, I'm like, okay, courage, Michael, courage. And so as I, as I say this, I hear him say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And I literally had to switch from being the, the shame-filled penitent to the merciful Jesus in a moment. And, and it was this incredibly powerful, like, Jesus was like, get out of your shame. I need you to, to pass on my grace right now to a brother priest. And I don't think he even know, knows what he did because we both kind of asked each other to hear our confession. So who goes first? I mean, this is kind of the beauty of priesthood. Who goes first? I thought I was going to go first. And I, I was, so I, I literally had to pull myself out of like, stop feeling shameful. You literally have to be, you have to give advice and show the mercy of God right now. So like that story I still sit with and I've been able to share with a few other people, including you now, um, to say that, that that's how we are as Christians. We are, we are helpful sinners who we are sinners who have received mercy and therefore we can offer it. And that's not only priests, of course, that's anybody who's baptized, any priest, prophet, and king. 
um, who needs to, I mean, it's, it's really odd when you go to a priest, when you go to confession or their brother priest, because they just heard your confession or you just heard theirs. And here you now have to stand on authority and even be, um, you know, convicting and say, you know, you know, you know, brother, in, in all gentleness, you know, you step up, you know, have courage. And, and they're just like, I know you're weak, too. I literally just heard your confession. So it's this beautiful kind of God moment. And, and that that story I love to tell, I think, is is it has been helped me immensely into understand my position and the love of God in that moment. I, I know that my my temperament is being more presumptive and and really assuming God's love and having very few examples like the two I mentioned earlier of, of, you know, near desolation, um, despair, feelings of deep shame. Um, I think that we need to remember that, that God's love is a gift and to, to have put ourselves as the question was asked earlier, a beloved child of God, you know, put yourself back in being a child, a child and, and just understand that you are receiving everything and you don't need to earn anything. And I would almost say that one way to do that is to to teach that to others. In other words, find people in your life that feel the same way and and try to try to teach them that they are beloved of God. You know, try to be God's voice in their life and to speak to them, you know, be be quote unconditionally, you know, loving, be be affirming, be and and even convicting. Um but at the same time, try to show that there is there is nothing you can do that is going to that's going to have me stop loving you, you know. And but be be serious about that. Don't lie. Um, you know, I, I've heard stories of married couples that that will be fighting for years and years and years, and they're they're sacramentally married and they're good Catholics, but but they there's something their subconscious that when they get re- into a really really tough fight with their spouse they have this subconscious voice that's of the the evil one that says this might be the end you know this we this might break us and and what good catholic counselors will tell them is you need to vocalize just like you need to vocalize i forgive you you need to vocalize please forgive me you need to vocalize i love you you also sometimes when you're fighting need to vocalize at some point i will never leave you the sacrament of marriage allows me now we might separate for a while we, we might do these things, but 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 I treasure this sacrament, and by the power of God, I will I will never leave you. Like that that is not even a question; and it never will be on my mind. That can change the whole attitude of a of a fight, and so you you can actually become more gore. Well, if if we're stuck with each other for the rest of our lives, then we're going to fight differently. We're going to work differently. We're going to love differently. And so that 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 statement of of unconditional positive regard, if you will, to use the secular term, but that unconditional love that you show others. I think when we when we give that gift that God has given us, then we, you know, I would imagine that it's, it becomes easier to feel that way as well, to feel God's love if you've been able to try to vocalize it to others. I know we do that all the time. We we don't listen to our own advice. Every human being does that. But there there is something to to say for how how do I want God to love the people I love the most? If you have children, how do I want God to love my children? The you know my parents, whoever it is. And then to just get it through our thick skulls that that's that God loves me that way and more. But sometimes you need to vocalize it in the context of others to be able to hear it yourself.